Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. Now it is also my honor and my privilege to welcome up Pastor Brandon, who's going to be giving us the word this morning. Thank you very much. Hey, why don't we, um, actually, after I'm done talking... Um, Sarah Ruth, as did you, I wasn't here when you introduced yourself. Did you tell everybody you're our family's pastor? She's also on our lead team. And uh, if you have a, uh, a child in, in our family's, that's a part of our family's uh, programming, or just you're a family here, we have a lot to owe Sarah Ruth. Um, I mean, she's been leading families before being on staff for a long time and uh, doing a great job with it. And... Of course, we know that since Sarah Ruth came on staff, there's been a lot of growth in our families, which is really exciting. Um, But even before that, she's been taking seriously the task to raise our kids or help raise our kids uh, in in a healthy way. And of course, she's not looking to replace the families or the parents' role within a family, uh, but their team is doing a really good job uh, aiding parents in raising kids. And I know even for my kids, yeah, it's an early, uh, an early uh, thank you, but you know, my, my son Theo will come home from school or we'll be talking before he goes to bed and, and uh, sometimes we get into these conversations and we got into this one conversation. He said, Dad, you know, my friend, uh, my friend doesn't, doesn't know Jesus. And I was like, oh, okay, how do you know this? And he said, well, he says, oh, my God. And I'm like, well, definitely doesn't know Jesus. Then. <laughs> uh, and so he's explaining to me, and he says, we have, to, we have to get him to know who Jesus is. And I said, well, how are we going to do that? And he said, I think we should pray for him. And I'm like, that's amazing. And so, you know, we follow up with this. And sometimes I wonder, like, like there's certain things that I teach our kids, and then there's certain things that, like, where are you learning this? And uh, if you have your kids that are being impacted in a positive way by stuff you don't know where it's coming from, it's likely coming from Sarah and her team. And so we just want to thank you for um, everything you're doing and the responsibility you carry here at our church. Okay, so we are back to the Four Love series. Um, I think that last week was not only a, um, a needed break um, from the series in order to celebrate Pentecost Sunday, but a, a beautiful break um, as we learned about the, the Spirit's importance in our lives, uh, not just uh, when we come to church on Sundays, but like, like helping us navigate this life in which we live. And uh, today we go back to the Four Love series, and uh, with a little bit of fear and trepidation, and Sarah Ruth got one thing wrong, which was our party in the park is not an opportunity to express all of the four loves, uh, only just a few of them, because today we're talking about arrows, <laughs> and let's not be the church that gets charged for practicing arrows in the party in the park. <laughs> what kind of church party is this? <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Okay. I'm not even gonna, not even gonna go there. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Brandon, and uh, so if you're if you're new to Slate Church, um, I just want to introduce myself quick. My name is Brandon. I'm the lead pastor here, alongside my wife, who just marched up the stairs with our youngest daughter. We have four kids, 
And uh, we love pastoring here, and we love this community very much, and we're so glad that you would join us. Can we just welcome everybody who's here for the first time? I'm going to pray, and there's a bunch of verses that I want to get to. There's a bunch of quotes that I want to get to, and I'm going to work through this pretty slow. I think, and I'm looking at Nate, next week, are we still doing the panel? Okay, next week's going to be a panel. That's what's going to be in this part of our message. And so any questions that you have or clarifications you would like to have coming out of today, uh, next week's a great chance to ask those questions, and we're going to have uh, a panel of some sort. Uh, to answer those questions, to further dive into the topic of Eros. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started. God, thank you that we get to gather here this morning. And it is, uh, it is, an, exciting, it is an exciting task um, or, 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 or moment uh, to gather here um, together as, as your body of believers and worship you. God, as we learned last week, it's by your Spirit's power that we get to be in this place, and it's by your Spirit's power that we... Um, are enabled to be the church. And God, we know that in order to be the church in the cultural climate that we find ourselves in, God, we, we don't need our own strength. God, we need your strength. So God, even today as we talk about this, um, this fourth idea of, of, the fourth lo- of the four loves, God, we've talked through Storge, we've, we've talked through Philia, we've talked about Agape every single week. And as we talk about Eros, God, we just pray that your presence would be here, both with those of us that understand who your presence is, Uh, and what it is, and those of us who do not understand. And God, I pray that we would just humbly uh, submit ourselves to what you want to speak to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Okay, um, somebody asked me last week, uh, and it it was a friend, and uh, it was Dr. Will Taves. Uh, He asked me last week, he said, oh, or maybe it wasn't him. Uh, Now I'm putting him on the spot, and I'm like, "Uh, did he, is he the one that actually said this? So, Remove that, but somebody close to me asked this question. They said, did you not have a message for Eros prepared last week, and that's why you talked about the Spirit? And I thought, how dare you? Um, How dare you know what actually, no, I'm kidding. Um, That's not the truth. Last week was Pentecost Sunday. We were going to dive, I decided on Thursday we were going to dive into that, and that's what I started preparing. Um, But I would be lying if I said that I wasn't nervous to talk about Eros. Why am I talk, uh, nervous to talk about Eros? Well, um, eroticism, erotic love, gets its, the, its root from Eros. Now, as you'll notice as we go further on, Eros doesn't necessarily um, really talk about sexuality at all, but we can't get around Eros without talking about sexuality. And who wants to talk about sexuality in front of all of the people that are tuning in online as well as the hundreds that are going to join us today in our morning services and our evening services. It is not something that I look forward to talking about as much as, uh, as, as you might think. Talking about Eros is an impossible task in today's society. We see some um, the erotic side of Eros, um, and we see some of the, the discussion around it as being some of the most wicked things that anybody could possibly do in this, uh, in this world, even beyond uh, some of the atrocities we've seen through um, some major world events, even recently. We think that this is the defining sin of our world's, um, our world's uh, uh, time and age and the cultural moment that we find ourselves in. Whereas some of us in the room, uh, we would ascribe to the fact that love is love, and that's a great way to define love. And so with that kind of uh, cultural 
climate that we find ourselves in, I just thought it wise as a pastor to jump right in and tell you exactly how you should think about it, which is obviously not uh, what I'm going to do at all, but I'm going to hopefully open us up to understanding this in a different way. You see, sometimes I get up from the platform and I preach, and it's impassioned, like last week as I was talking about the Spirit, and then there's times where I come up here with a a sense of humility and a sense of fear and trepidation, and that's kind of how I'm coming up here today, because I live in the same world as you live in. I live in the same world you live in. I grew up in a world where, uh, you know, a lot of my family members have different ideas of sexuality and romanticism and eros as, as it stands in the world today. Uh, whether that be people that are in same-sex relationships or people that are in happy Um, monogamous, long-lasting relationships, or family members who are on their fifth marriage, and that's not not um, uh, an exaggeration. I have a few aunts that are on multiple, multiple, multiple marriages. I come from a family of 14 aunts and uncles, or 13 aunts and uncles on my dad's side, Uh, and my mom Poor, poor mom uh, with one sister married into that family. But, um, so I have a lot, of, a lot of people really close to me that are struggling with what does it mean to actually love. And what I really do believe is that our world is not looking for an, a nuanced answer or, or a, a vague answer as much as it's just looking for clarity on the subject. And as much as I would like to just like breeze through this topic without giving any information whatsoever and not really speaking about anything in particular, The truth is, is that not everybody has somebody like my father to guide them through this life and to discuss these topics openly in a way that allows us to navigate the cultural fray that we find ourselves in. And here's the thing. There's two different people or beings that we can please in the world today. The first is is that we try to please the world. And how many of us are struggling with that right now? Like in our everyday going, going ons, our, our, our going ins and our coming outs, how many of us are actually just trying to please our neighbor by the way we cut our grass? Okay, that, I just had to get that off the plate. Uh, <laughs> I was talking to Tanner. Uh, Tanner Philp was over and we were having a bike ride. And Tanner lives in a, in a beautiful uh, neighborhood with his wife, Lily. And uh, he came over to, to my place and he's like, dude, you weren't kidding about the way that these people cut their grass. And I'm like, no, like I feel hostage to the older um, uh, retired individuals in my neighborhood. They're like looking at me with disdain. I tried to, this is, a, this is a, not important to share, uh, bunny, a, a rabbit trail. I uh, tried to fertilize my yard the other day and uh, long story short, as I was filling up my fertilizer, my little uh, thing that spreads the fertilizer, I didn't realize that it was just um, flowing through the fertilizer and not spreading. And so uh, there's just like a hole in my yard now. <laughs> And so something that I did to please my neighbors has come backfire, and it's $45 gone into this hole in my yard. Anyway, but it's impossible to please humans. It is impossible to please humans. The other being that you could try to please is God. But do you know that it's also impossible to please God? So what are we left to do when it comes to talking about romantic love, and, it's, and, it's, uh, and it comes to talking about uh, erotic love and and eros at its heart, what are we to do when it's impossible to please humans and it's impossible to please God? Well, this is what I suggest we do. I suggest that we don't try to please humans who are merciless, but we try to please God who is merciful. Because this world will eat you up, chew you up, and spit you out. Whereas God, when you fail him, will be there to pick you up every time you fall. 
So this is an impossible task in today's culture. Um, love, in, in many ways, has been, uh, has been uh, related to a junk drawer where we just throw a bunch of stuff in there. And, of course, through this series, one of the things that we've been trying to exemplify is that there's different ways that we can talk about love. And there's different ways that we should talk about love. And there's a difference between friendship love and the love that a mother has for their child. And, and it's different than the love that we share to one another in romantic relationships. And so the thing that we're trying to find ourselves figuring out when it comes to Eros is not as much what does the church believe about Eros, although um, we'll get into a little bit of that. I'm not going to take the get out of jail free card today. But... It's really trying to ask ourselves, like, how does the Bible and how does God talk about love? Because really, at the end of the day, the question that undergirds all of the things that we talk about when we talk about love is where are we getting our information about what love is? Now, for those of us that call ourselves Christians but live in the same world that that I live in, it can be really easy to say that we want to follow Jesus but disregard a lot of what he has to say about the world that we live in. I want to read from us, read for us from Psalm chapter 24. This Psalm chapter 24 is beautiful, and it proclaims a few things about God that aren't easy to proclaim if we don't really believe God is who he says he is. And so Psalm 24 says this. It says, The earth is the Lord and every, the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas, and he established it on the waters. What a beautiful proclamation about the world that we're living in today. Whose is it? Whose world is this? It's God's. For those of us that call in the name of Jesus, that's where we actually find our security in the proclamation that where we find ourselves and who we believe in in the world that we're living in is not this just vast amount of chaos that just randomly came together, but there was purpose designed behind everything that came about. And I'm not making any claims on how old the world is. There is room for a lot of different theories within that. But the one thing that we must grasp within our souls is that God is in control and that this is his world. As Christians, we're not just saying that Jesus is Lord. We're saying that he is Lord of all. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. I want to continue, and I just want to read the rest of this and let the beauty of God's reign here on earth wash over you. Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. And now you're starting to see where that one song that we sing comes from. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, the king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. Jesus Christ is the king of glory. See, my task in talking about Eros is is not really to um, make God's word tolerable to an intolerant culture. (laughs) The goal within Eros is to to figure out what God means by sin and what he has to say about sin and what he has to say about himself and what he has to say about the world that he created. So here's the first thing that I want to say before we jump in, 
is one of the things that we combat in this world um, is, is a world that doesn't see God as loving. Now, does anybody remember the series that we walked through um, called The Good Life? Right? And The Good Life was based on the premise of uh, 1 Peter 2, where um, Peter is saying, listen, uh, in a world that does not see you as moral, allow your good life to shine and draw people into relationship with God. That was the premise of the whole series. And the thing that caught me off guard is that Peter is suggesting that the world sees us as immoral. Essentially, what Peter's suggesting is that we live in a world that no longer sees us as the Ned Flanders of the world, people that are good but boring, but actually see us as people that are boring and not good, based on the way that they define and the world would define certain things within the world that we live in. And so the way that we combat this as Christians is often through this verse, God is love. Has anybody ever heard this verse before? One person. Gotcha. Nobody else has read this. Okay, so we're going to scrap today's message. And what we're going to do instead is we're going to talk about the importance of reading Scripture. Okay, who's, who's, who's heard this? God is love. And who's aware that this is actually a verse in the Bible? Okay, good. Now, it's one verse in the Bible, and, and it is true, and it is who God is. And who wants to serve a God that is not love? And who would want to serve and abandon their old life to take on a new life with a God that isn't love? But the interesting thing about God's love is that's not all that he is. God is not only love, but he is also just. And God is holy. And God is merciful. And God is faithful. And God is all of these things. In fact, many of the things that we value most in the world that we live in today are derivative from God. The reason that we care about justice in the world today is because God is just. We have an, we have an idea of justice because he created the world with a pattern of justice within it. And, that, and that's why we, why we like justice. It's because there's something in us that cries out for justice when there is injustice. The reason that we love we like and we love love is because God is love. We didn't just create this out of thin air. It's something that God gifted us with out of his being and out of the essence of who he is. But God is also holy. And as I was listening to one speaker this past week describe this, it reminded me, of the, uh, uh, and, and he reminded us of the verse in Revelation 4, 8 to 11. Now, many of us might be questioning, like, what is God doing right now? Does anybody know what God is doing right now? I mean, he's certainly here. Like, that's a difficult question, right? It's rhetorical. You're not meant to answer that. But, but it does beg a question. Like, what is God up to right now? Is he thinking about you? Yes. Is he caring about what's going on in the world? Yes. But there's some other things that are happening right now in heaven. And again, this isn't a message on heaven. It's not about a message on creationism or, or anything like that. This is a message on arrows. And why are we taking so much time to set this up because it's important to know who God is if we're going to listen to what God has to say. So right now, God is seated on the throne in heaven. He is wonderful. He is majestic. And this is what's happening around God as he sits on the throne. It says that there's four living creatures. This is Revelation 4, 8 to 11. It says each of the four living creatures that are around God right now had six wings and was covered... So. There's going to be some people in here right now, you don't even know what Revelation is. So this was a vision given to a guy named John on the island of Patmos. And as he's given this vision, he's recollecting and he's writing down this vision of heaven and a vision of the end times, but also 
a vision, a prophetic word to what was going to happen around 70 AD. And this is really confusing. Like, we're bringing in so much theology right now, and we can unpack all this later. Um, but he's recording what heaven is like. And so you're going to be like, man, this sounds, this sounds creepy, okay? So each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. Now, listen, this is creepy, okay? If you look up a Google search of, like, what do angels look like, you won't fall asleep ever again. Um, but it's no worse than looking up a picture of what Peppa Pig actually looks like. Uh, because if you know who Peppa Pig is, her face is always like this, and she has two eyes on this side of her head, and she walks around like this. But a real picture of her, she has four eyes, because no matter where she looks, she always has two eyes on it. And it's even more disturbing than the picture of these angels. For next service, I'll bring up a picture of Peppa Pig with four eyes, and this will be nothing in comparison to that. Now, I've always had a question. Why is it that these angels have eyes all around it? And it was the first time I had the question answered this past week by somebody who was walking through this passage exactly, and they said it's because they are continually taking in the glory of God. Because the glory of God is not directional like in front of them as much as the glory of God is all around them and they're continually taking in the glory of God. Now that's a beautiful picture of what these angels are doing. Now what are these angels doing as they sit around God and sit within him and and, and sit in front of him and, and all of these like, I mean we're breaking paradigms that we don't even quite understand. It says even under its wings. Day and night they never stop saying. So day and night this is the song going on in heaven. So right now, we just sang a bunch of songs. The first song that we sung today, I don't like. Uh, it's, it's like a kind of a, a weird song. Uh, and it's not a song that I like to sing if I was to bring my friends here. But we did cut out the one part that I really don't like, which is like, get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave. And I'm like, if I brought my friends into that environment, uh, that's, yeah, that's why we don't sing that part of the song. Because uh, I don't want them to walk in and think they entered into a square dance. And so... Okay, it's okay to have some songs you don't like, even if you're pastoring the church. It's not okay to be critical to, to them at a point where it ceases your own worship towards God. Okay, but this is a worship song that these angels are singing over and over and over again right now in heaven. So we ended the song. Like right now, Pastor Brandon is speaking, hopefully, a word from God for us, um, and the song stopped. In heaven, the song never stops. And this is what the song says. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And I never understood why when I was in a worship service and I would just say the words holy, holy, holy over and over again, why sometimes I just start weeping and why sometimes I just find myself a wreck and sometimes I have my whole life rearranged and it's because... This is the song that's going on all around us, all the time, for all of eternity. Holy, holy, holy. Do you know what the word holy means? <laughs> I'm going to put someone on the spot. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Because <laughs> somebody's like, I, I don't know. It literally means set apart. Like God is set apart. He's set apart. He is, he is the holy one. The Holy One, holy, 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 set apart. You are set apart 
You are set apart. Set apart is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now, why am I taking so much time to jump into this and say this? The reason I'm saying this is because if we are to isolate any part of God, we miss out on who God really is. If we're to isolate one aspect of who God is amongst all the rest, we miss out on the fact that he is all of those parts that we want to isolate. And really, his main defining feature about who he is is not that he's love and not that he's justice, but that he's holy. Do you notice that the angels with eyes that are covering them, even under their wings, just to make it even more creepy, it has to add that. It's like, yeah, all around its wings and then under its wings. It's like, whoa, disgusting. This is why, like, people are, like, falling down dead when they meet angels in the body, Bible. They're like, oh, my gosh, I've never seen something so hideous in my entire life. Holy, holy, holy is what they're proclaiming. They're not up in heaven right now proclaiming justice, justice, justice. Although God cares about justice, read the Bible. Read Luke chapter 4 where Jesus initiates his ministry. It's all about justice. They're also not up there saying love. Love, love. No, they are proclaiming holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the reason that we should jump into this is because the verse continues and it says, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him, and we're not going to get into that part either, who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns down before the throne, then they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, excuse me, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. And listen to this. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. If anybody came out of a, a reformed tradition and was catechized, and catechized is like another word for like, being trained up in, in, uh, in some of the, uh, the understandings of Scripture. Uh, it, it's not brainwashing because then we would have to say all of school is brainwashing. Um, it, it, it is this way of, of instilling deep beliefs within children um, and, and adults. But this is something that you would recognize from the catechism. For you created all things and, for your, and, and by your will they were created and have their being. Now the reason... I'm, 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 I'm establishing all this as I want you to see a couple of things here. The things that I want to see is that, one, we live in a very difficult culture, don't we? I mean, in some ways, we're all kind of holding our breath to, to hear what comes at the end of this message. And we're like, please may it not be X, Y, or Z. I mean, some of us were just like on the edge of our seats, like, what, what, what are we getting to at the end of this message? So, so that just indicates for us in the room right now that when we talk about these things, it's not easy. We live in this complicated situation where we, we're being told what love is, and yet we have this competing worldview within Scripture that tells us something different, and we're not sure how to stand in the middle of it. That's the first thing. The second thing is that God is a God of order. And, and, and we see that when we read, uh, in, read in Psalm 24 that the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, that God's a Lord and that he has order. And the third thing that we're reading right now, just to establish a basis for having this conversation at all, is that God is the creator. Okay, so, so after they're saying holy, 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 which is saying, God, you are set apart, you are set apart, you are set apart, and what you have to say is set apart from even the things that we want to say. So after that is done, It goes into these elders that are throwing themselves on the ground before God, and they're saying, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being, which leads us to the creation story. 
In Genesis 5, 1 to 2. And this is what Genesis 5, 1 to 2 has to say. This is the written account of Adam's family line. So we're going back all the way to Adam and Eve. It says, when God created mankind, he created them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. So, is this making sense to anybody? Some messages are interesting um, because of the passion that's involved, and other messages are interesting because you're not sure where they're going to go. And other messages are interesting because it's dealing with something that we, we just, we, we deal with so deeply in the culture that we find ourselves in. Now, here's the, here's the thing. And this is one of the things that we're trying to get through in our deeply formed life. Is if you are trying to live your, your, your Christian life and your walk with God from the perspective that God is an addition to your life, it will never work. And this is why there's, there's somewhat of a danger in approaching Christ like, like he's the Swedish um, shepherd who holds lambs all day and, 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 and just, just like loves everybody around him. Like, first of all, we know that God, Jesus wasn't Swedish. Uh, he was Middle Eastern. Um, earth-shattering. And second of all, as I've said before, he, he actually says, rather than like holding all these lambs and like this nice peaceful guy, he says he's going to throw us out into, into wolves. Like, and the reason being is because we have a completely different way than what, we have a completely different way we should be seeing the world as people of faith. And we're not seeing it from the perspective of adding God into our lives, but rather that we are walking into God's world. That's a key difference in the way that we approach our faith as Christians is not that we would walk around in this life like, hey, God, you can be a part of these parts of my life. Those parts over there, don't touch them. But a key part of being a Christian is, is understanding that the moment that we understand who Jesus is is that no longer are we inviting Jesus into our lives purely to be a part of our lives, but we're actually stepping into the world that God has created. It's a little bit like this. Um, and I'm going to take the full, full amount of time. So you can, you can stand up there and, and, and do your thing. Maybe start playing in like five minutes. Actually, you know what? Why don't you come back in five minutes? Can we give it up for Scott? <laughs> oh, man. I never played video games. And uh, during the pandemic, I started playing video games. And his, his handle is Scooter. And I started calling him Scooty with a booty. And uh, I almost just called him that as he left the stage. And, and I, I just thought I should confess. Um, it's a little bit like this. So, so bringing it back to stepping into the world that God created versus asking God to be a part of our lives. Um, I played, I played uh, mini sticks growing up. And for those of you that didn't grow up in Canada, mini sticks is uh, just a continuation of our obsession with hockey uh, as, as uh, white Anglo-Saxon uh, Canadians. Uh, and so rather than playing hockey with big sticks, we play hockey also with mini sticks. Um, we have another sport called foot hockey, which is kicking around a tennis ball. It could be called soccer, but it's also called foot hockey because we're obsessed with hockey. Um, and I remember playing mini sticks. If anybody ever grew up going to arenas, I remember playing mini sticks in the arena. And 
it was a thrill. Like, I mean, you get, like, 20 kids in an arena just bashing each other over the head with mini sticks and, like, bumping each other into the boards. It's a thrill. Now, it was a thrill because we were playing mini sticks. It was more of a thrill because as I grew up and got older, it started to become standard in hockey arenas that you weren't allowed to play mini sticks because often the little foam ball would end up on the ice rink and they'd have to stop play. And, and so the thrill was not only that you were going to get body checked by your best buddy, the thrill of it was that you might get kicked out of the arena or be told not, not to play at all. And so you're always like looking over your shoulder and you're like, oh my goodness. And you expect it. When they tell you to stop playing mini sticks, you go you're right, I saw the sign, or like, did you see the sign? You're not supposed to do this. You're like, no, I didn't see the sign, you know, and you just keep playing mini sticks. Now, everybody in this room, does that sound like, that sounds like reasonable. We're in an arena. The arena guy has the ability to tell you to stop playing mini sticks, yes? Okay, now just imagine I was playing mini sticks on my driveway, and all of a sudden, the arena guy pulls up to the end of my driveway. He's like, hey, stop playing mini sticks. I mean, I have, a, I have a feeling in that moment that all of a sudden the rules that this guy holds are completely different. <laughs> all of a sudden, we're not a fan of the arena guy that stops by the home to tell us to stop playing mini sticks. Why? Because his jurisdiction is in the arena, not at my house. What we have to work out with our faith, and I'm not telling you to believe this. I'm telling you that you need to, you need to figure out whether, where you line up with this. You have to figure out whether or not God is the arena guy stopping by your home telling you to do stuff or not, or... If you live within God's arena and he's allowed to tell you what to do or what not to do. We all have to wrestle with that. Because if we live in God's arena, we have to play by his rules. And all of a sudden, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't mean that, that God is somehow mean for telling us how to live this life. It might just be, if he's a good God... Is God good? If he's a loving God, is God loving? If he's a just God, is God just? It might just mean that the rules and the ways that God has established and ordered this world is actually because he is good, because he is loving, because he is just, because he actually wants the best for us that we're all searching for but think that we will find it in our freedom to do whatever we want. One theologian defined freedom this way. They define freedom as not having the freedom to do whatever you want, but by having the freedom to do what you should do. What this means is that there's a particular type of freedom that allows you to walk into an open jail cell that is self-locking with nobody around and no chance for help and close the door. <laughs> there is a type of freedom that allows you to do that. The type of freedom that God wants to allow is the type that says, listen, that, that jail cell is not a good place to go. You shouldn't go there. <laughs> and listening. Because the thing we should do is not lock ourselves up in a place that we can't be saved. <laughs> and I don't mean uh, eternally saved. I just mean... Uh, metaphysically saved. Okay, so is everybody good with this so far? I haven't even talked about Eros. Um, so that's today's message. Have a great day. <laughs> okay, in our last seven minutes together, because the next service is going to come in, I just want to dive in really briefly into what Eros is. 
This is the first thing that we need to know about eros and love and romanticism and sexuality. Is that eros, the type of eros that we're talking about today, is a type of love that impairs sexual pleasure. Okay, so this sucks. Uh, this is an awful way to launch into eros. Um, but it impairs sexual pleasure in the way that a desire for health might impair the pleasure we de derive from eating food. Right? So eating too much food will make us gluttonous, and it will impair our ability to live healthy lives. So love and eros impairs sexual pleasure in the same way that productivity or, or contributing to the world might impair the pleasure we derive from sleep, um, and therefore keeping us from sloth, slothfulness. So there's four main pleasures that we can pursue. It's the pleasure of eating, the pleasure of drinking, um, the pleasure of sleeping, and the pleasure of sexuality. And, and we live in a world that almost uniformly agrees that we can outdo it on eating, we can outdo it on drinking, we can outdo it on sleeping, and that too much or too little of any of these things is, is a bad thing. But then with the one appetite left, we live in a world that says, no, this one must be unrestrained, and the highest good is to pursue it at all costs don't let anybody tell you differently. And I just wonder if when we talk about God and eros and eroticism and romanticism and love and the deep love that, that people have between one another, if, if just maybe what God has to say within Scripture on this topic is just aligning with what the world says about the other appetites. <laughs> that there's an appropriate measure to engage in them and an appropriate way to engage in them. Now, this is the thing that we need to understand about Eros in particular, is Eros actually really has little to do with sexuality, but it's the thing that we think about when we talk about Eros. Eros has more to do with the beloved than it does have to do with the thing. Now, C.S. Lewis talks about the thing as being sexuality itself, sex, like having sex with one another. And so when we think of Eros, we think like, oh, this is all about sexuality. When C.S. Lewis says, no, the way that the Bible would, would and does talk about Eros and the way that we trace it throughout Scripture is that Eros is much more concerned about the beloved than it is the thing that the beloveds take part in. Does that make sense? So what he says is that um, eros is a lot more about the infatuation that we have with that person in our life than it is about the thing we do with that person. And really, I mean, this is a healthy ordering of things because if we can understand this, we can understand that there's actually something deeper at work and deeper at play that's going on. When I first started dating Emma, and, and I'm, I'm going out on a limb right now because my in-laws are in the room, and this is, uh, this is sketchy territory. So just put in your earplugs. When I started dating Emma, um, man, like, like the desire to have sex was high, super high. What an uncomfortable uh, conversation to hear from your pastor uh, and his wife. We've had four kids, so uh, we know how to do the thing. But it's, but it's interesting. Like, it's not that, that uh, I love this, because as I'm looking at, you guys don't get to see what I'm seeing, but there's so many people blushing, they're like, is he talking about that? So many of you are like. <laughs> can, can we stay on topic? <laughs> can I stay on topic? Is that okay? Um, when I met Emma, I mean, like, I would have, let me put it this way. I would have never imagined a time would come in my life where, uh, where, where the night would be getting late and 
the setting was right, and one thing would lead to another thing, and my wife would go, you want to go upstairs? And I would go, I'm just not feeling it right now. 16-year-old Brandon, which is what I met Emma, would never have dreamed of that situation in my entire life, where there would be this night, romance, dinner, movie, other things, whatever romance that you don't think about it if, 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 if it'll make you stumble, but like, think about it. It would have never have occurred to me that, that there would be a time where my wife would, would, and she does this all the time, she's all over me. Like I, it's way more her than me. It's like, I'm like a, like a sex symbol to her. She's like, she can't get her hands off of me. Breaks the tension a little bit, just a little bit. If you're offended by that, that was literally just to break the tension we were all feeling in the room. I would have never imagined a moment where I would say, you know what, just maybe tonight, not, not tonight. But this is what Eros causes us to do, is we're more consumed with the beloved. I'm more consumed with Emma than what Emma can do to my body. A little graphic, but, 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 but it's important because the love that God offers us is a higher love than mere sexuality. It's a love that says, hey, people are worth loving. It's a love that says, Emma is worth loving. That even if this was something that wasn't a part of our lives, which Paul says is a terrible idea, by the way, but even if it wasn't there, that I would love her anyway. And, and really what, what, what C.S. Lewis argues for when it comes to Eros is that Eros is a type of love that when, 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 we, when we pursue it, when we engage in it, when we, when we recognize it's happening to us, that it's not that... That, that sex leads us to eros, but that eros leads us to a healthy respect of sexual activity. Because all of a sudden, it's more about respecting Emma than it is having my pleasures met. So eros places the individual first. And C.S. Lewis says it this way. That is why eros, though the king of pleasures, always, at its height, has the air of regarding pleasure as a byproduct, that Emma is more important than what Emma can do for me. And this is where romanticism and love find itself in the Bible. Eros places the individual first. The proper order, as Genesis 5, 1 to 2 says, is that when God created mankind, he, created the, he made them in the likeness of God, and he created the male and female and blessed them. And he told them, be fruitful and multiply. As one author put it, the serpent says that the best sex is found in short, risky, promiscuous relationships with beautiful people. God says the best sex is found when a man and a woman say, till death do us part. It's all about who you trust. So this is what I'm going to leave us with. And Scooty with a booty, you can come up. <laughs> Don't look at his butt, sorry. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, <laughs> if roles were reversed, you would not be allowed to say that, which just goes to show the double standards in our world today, isn't it? Um, It's important because what we're talking about today is that there's an order to the way that God has created things. 
And because I could talk about this, literally, I have more notes and I have more things I could say. And we're going to talk about this next week. I'm going to cut it off by just saying this. I'm going to put this over here because now I just want to be super pastoral. Um, you're like laughing because you're like, you haven't been. Uh, it's, it's, it would be good for you to turn it on. Um, so the serpent says the best sex is found in short, risky, promiscuous relationships with beautiful people. But God says the best sex is found when a man and a woman say, till death do us part. It's all about who you trust. Here's what I'd say. Um, the world that we live in right now is, is really confusing when it comes to the topic of sexuality. But it's just really confused in general. And the anxiety that we're feeling right now is not an anxiety because we can't do the things we want to do. It's an anxiety because we're doing all the things we want to do and it's still leaving us unfulfilled. And I can tell you just from living in this life as long as I have, and honestly, being pretty sexually confused myself until the, about the age of 14. I'm not going to jump into that, but something happened to me as a child um, that, that had me really confused sexually until I was about 13 or 14 years old. And, uh, and so I don't speak a message like this without fear and trembling before God, but I also don't speak a message like this without fear and trembling before, before you. Because in a world that says love is love, we serve a God that says, actually, we don't define a word by its word. We define a word by the one that, that gave it. And um, the question when you're walking through these murky waters of culture isn't really, isn't really what do you want to believe about this, but who do you want to trust and who do you want to serve on this side of eternity? Because honestly, I think that when we come to this topic, and, and if you want more specifics around what we believe as a church, we can say that openly. We can say it next week. Um, we've said it today. <laughs> I got a whole bunch of people that says, you are, you are the very problem with what's going on in the world. You are sinful. You are having that belief. And yet, as Christians, this is the posture that I take before God, As I take this posture. I say, God, as much as in the cultural place that we find ourselves right now, I wish that you said something different. Um, I'm going to trust you at your word. And the reason I'm going to trust God at his word is because for 2,000 years of church history, the church said one thing. And it wasn't up until recently in the last 30 years that the church has started saying a different thing. And the question that we just all have to answer, our, answer in and of ourselves is who will we serve this day and who will we trust? And the question to ask ourselves as we are diving into this, because I'm not asking you to take my word for it, I'm asking you to go look into it, is asking the question, what does God say about this? Not asking the question which the serpent asked to the woman in the garden, Eve. Remember, Eve, Eve is in the garden, told to rule over the garden. And all of a sudden, we see the garden ruling over her. She's told to rule over the serpent. All of a sudden, the serpent starts ruling over her. And the question that was posed to her is, did God really say? And what I can tell you right now is that the question, did God really say, is the one that is providing so much confusion to us as Christians today. The better question to approach God with is, what did you say? And it's out of that posture that we can actually find deep, 
deep understanding of what love can be within the limits that God has placed on it. Is this okay? I took the full time because, um, because it's a sensitive topic. I'm excited to come back next week. Um, I think what's gonna happen on social media, we'll put out a, a place where you can put in your questions and we're just gonna answer them rapid fire next week. We're just gonna get up here and just answer a bunch of questions. So we're gonna get into more specifics. But today was all about understanding that like, hey, who do we serve? And that's the most important today. And so as we leave here today, we're not leaving with a kickout song. We're not leaving with some, excuse, excuse me, um, big emotional mo- moment. But we, we leave with this question, who is God to us? And, and am I inviting him to be a part of my life or am I literally choosing to step into the world that he's created? And I will tell you that one leads to a lack of satisfaction with God and one leads to total satisfaction with who God is. And I ask you to ponder this, this, this week in your time of prayer and ponder this when you're by yourself and ponder this when you're driving in the car and ponder and make a decision this week to allow, allow yourself to step into the world that God's created. Can we bow our heads? I don't know... I, I just feel it's, it's necessary because um, I want to end in prayer. Um, I don't know what you need prayer for, but maybe it's prayer because you're just afraid of the cultural climate we find ourselves in and you don't even know how to talk about these things. Um, or maybe it's that you feel like in one way or another, you've been stepping outside of that bounds yourself. and Maybe there's a sense of guilt rising up. I want you to know that God is not here to make you feel guilty. He will convict you of sin, but, but his purpose is not to make you feel guilty. He wants to draw you back into the order that he's created. And so the, a message in, in our time together is not meant to leave you feeling guilty. I mean, there should be a sense that we are sinful as we leave, but, but that, that God is bigger than our sin, and that's why Jesus came. And so today, I just want to pray for any of us that are just feeling weighty coming into this, this message. And so if that's you, can you just raise a hand and just say, hey, like, I, I feel weighty. I don't know how to talk about this with people. I, I feel ashamed of this part of my faith, or I feel ashamed about what's going on in my life. If that's you, can you just raise a hand? And I, I just want to pray for all of us before we leave this place. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Jesus, as we leave this place, we just want to thank you that uh, you are who you say that you are. God, we want to thank you that you created a world. You called it good. And when you created us, you said it was very good. And God, I thank you for creating us, and I thank you that you created a lot of good in this world. God, I pray that as we leave this place that we would, we would submit ourselves to you. When it comes to Eros, the real question is whether or not we want to live in your world. And God, I pray today that you would create a deep desire in each and every one of us that are leaving this place for a desire to live in your world. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.